Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, we'll continue to deal with the fallout from UFC 260 and what the next heavyweight title will be. Plus, I'll discuss Leon versus Nate Diaz. I'll answer a listener question and I'll talk even more about Ben Askren versus Jake Paul because you guys can't seem to get enough of it. But first, let's start with this. I got in a dust-up with Helwani, who gets under my skin in these type situations. Doing Arrow the Bad Guy over on ESPN+. Plus. Please go check that out. Okay, I reference that show a lot with the expectation that you will check that out so you're part of the narrative and we can all move along together. Here, and this is what Ariel always does, Ariel changes the argument mid-argument. Okay, a statement will be made. We both... Bite into that like a dog on a bone. I start to beat him, and then he changes the argument. And here's what he did, and here's what we were discussing. Arrow was talking about how important it is to have John Jones and Angano to figure this out. And Arrow was very open that John has done everything wrong, but that this fight still needs to be figured out. And Dana's reluctance to do it, by example was wrong and we've got clear heads must prevail, something along these lines. I said, Errol, excuse me, excuse me. You're sitting here telling me what a big night of business that would be. And I'm pushing back. I'm pushing back in this regard. John Jones has had six months of promotion. Okay, as we sit here right now, what's the bigger fight, Jones versus Ngano or Lewis versus Ngano? The answer is, right, you would come to that, you think about it for a minute, you kind of go back and forth, but you would come to the conclusion of John versus Francis. And the mere fact that you had to think about it and weigh on it, even if you came to this conclusion, stresses what I'm trying to point out, which is they're both big fights and there is not a huge meaningful difference. The difference as of right now is John Jones has had six months of promotion for this fight, not to mention the single best promotion that you can get, which is speculative. Is John going to the class? Will John immediately fight for a title? Will that be against Stipe or Francis? Six months of buildup. Derek Lewis has had none. And they're still relatively close. And I was just bringing that to Errol's attention. Because if you try to make the suckers play, and I'm going to lose respect for you if you do, if you try to make the suckers play that that's the bigger fight and therefore you have to do it, you're stuck at one. Or you could do it another way and be guaranteed three. Be guaranteed Lewis. Be guaranteed Jones. Be guaranteed Stipe. 
And nobody with a straight face can tell me that those three fights are bigger than this one. Not even, not even close. So there's a couple of ways that you have to look at it. Moreover, when did we get to the day of the big fight? This has been resisted by the fans, the contestants, and the pundits from day one. No, it should not be the bigger fight. It should be your standing on merit and merit alone. And anytime we get away from that, where's the Ali act? I mean, I, all this ridiculousness, but now we're supposed to say that that's the bigger fight and therefore we should do it. So Ariel said to me, he said these exact words. He said, Chill, I don't know how you can sit here with a straight face. It's the most ridiculous thing that you've ever said. Well, time out, because that's where he changed the argument. Time out. I want to see Jones and God. I got that whole thing. What I'm speaking to is where... Arrow was attempting to say that that's not what Dana wanted to do. Okay, Dana got asked one question. It was by John Morgan. One question at the press conference. Would you do Jones and Ngannou? And you know what Dana said? Yes. So this entire idea that Dana White is trying to take something from John Jones, Dana was asked one time, would you do the fight? And without hesitation, Dana said yes. Dana added to the idea, I don't know that John wants to do that fight. You asked me if I want to do the fight. Yes, I would do the fight. I don't know that John wants to do it. And it sounds as though he's trying to price himself out of it right now. Laid out. That was it. Dana has not said anything else. Nothing. Hasn't been asked, hasn't had an opportunity, hasn't been in front of the media. And it's very important that you know that because there is now a dialogue going around and it's very small, but I felt like it was being perpetuated by my own partner, Errol Hawani, that Dana is somehow stopping this fight. Dana said he wanted the fight. One word, yes. Have John call Hunter Campbell. If we hear it from John, we'll get the paperwork. This fight's off to the races. I don't think it's going to happen. Dirt out Dana was right. Dana said this Saturday night. John has tweeted publicly that he had the call with Hunter Campbell and that he stopped Hunter in his tracks and said $10 million doesn't even get us talking which is what Dana predicted would happen. That he would price himself or negotiate out of doing the fight. And that is where I come to you with the argument that this is the first time ever that the big money fight is one that people are trying to go for in place of the competitive fight. To make believe that John in a division he's never been in is somehow in front of Derek Lewis in a division he's done everything in, including beating the city and a reigning champion, it's a stretch. It's a really tough stretch. There's an argument. John, having been as close to undefeated and dominant as he has been for a period of time, there's a very good argument. And you're hearing this from a guy who changed weight classes and on day one got a world title fight. This isn't coming with some level of hypocrisy. I understand that there's a good argument there. I'm just forcing the media to take a look at themselves. That never before... Have they been about the big fight? They have been about the right fight. The right fight is obviously Lewis. And the only one that could argue with Lewis is Stipe himself. And then you have John. But I've conceded from the jump, we have three. John, Lewis, and Stipe. What we're arguing about now is the order. And we as the audience needs to do a couple of things. But they need to be in this order. We need to get Francis booked. 
The only one unhappy with Francis being put on ice and put into a number one contendership and having to wait to see the winner of Stipe versus Cormier. Let a recovery time and a new training camp and a new media tour go through. The only one unhappy that was Francis. And all Francis has said coming out of this fight is, I want to fight. I want to be busy. So the number of opponents, somebody else figures that out. I have one request. Get me scheduled. That is the kind of attitude that we celebrate, but it's also one that gets rewarded. So we we can't play this game too long. And whoever gets to go first doesn't mean the other guy doesn't get to go second. But the fear is obvious. The fear is that the bigger drawing fight is John and Francis and that Lewis will come out and beat Francis again. That's the fear. So now it's Jones versus Lewis, which is that big fight. Different fight though, right? It's a different fight. If you're looking for a one-off anyway, you want a one-off, a one-time, deal with all the hassles and headaches, and pro- that's tomorrow's problem. If that's the way you want to think, yeah, you could come right back to Jones and Engano. Sure you could. But how bad do these guys want to compete? I mean, Francis didn't go too far with this, but Francis did weigh in. Yeah, that's a bigger fight, and I want paid differently for that. Now, what Francis doesn't know because he's never been champion is he's going to get brought into the office, and he's going to get presented with a new contract that's going to have a championship clause. Francis is going to be happy is a pig in dirt. Don't don't worry about Francis. I'm just sharing with you that kind of an attitude. Francis, put that under your hat. Put that under your cap. You've done a whole lot of fights and you were nothing but a loss. Not for nothing, but you have. They all have. So now if it's time to give one back, man, go give it back. Now that's not the situation. Francis has got some good news coming. Wait, wait until he gets that. I'm just sharing with you. Don't start that. If you're the baddest man on the planet, if you're getting called the MMA's Mike Tyson, if you're the biggest guy in the division that barely makes the weight limit, you've got an advantage, a meaningful advantage going in. And we're all as the audience going to act as though it isn't true, right? There aren't a whole lot of guys that can whip my ass. There's nobody I outweigh by 30 pounds that can whip my ass. A training young stud at right now. I got 30 pounds. I mean, I'm just saying, not for nothing, but if Francis wants us to continue on on the myth that he's the best fighter because of skill and we're not going to take into account that he has a 30-pound weight advantage over the average opponent, happy to do so. But Francis, if you back down publicly from a 205-pounder, A 205-pounder who ran away from his division because he was scared by a 185-pounder? I mean, do you see the problem? Don't do that. Don't do that. Wait till you meet with Dana. You're going to like what happens becoming champion. But don't come out publicly and be scared or start negotiating for... Come on, man. Let's move on to the news of the week. Just after we finished recording the Wednesday podcast, we found out Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz are going to fight in May. And I must admit, I was pleasantly surprised for multiple reasons. First off, Nate is being very consistent in what Nate does, which is he only takes super hard fights. People giving Nate a hard time about his record. You go look at the guys Nate fought. You tell me anybody else that's going to have a better record against that kind of competition. So Nate is staying consistent. However, an inconsistency is Nate generally fights somebody he's got some kind of a problem with. And he'll manufacture that problem out of thin air if he needs to. Somebody who's ranked higher than him and doesn't deserve it. Somebody who's been given opportunities that he hasn't been given and he deserves them. Something along these lines. I don't know where the Leon one came from. 
Now, I look forward to finding out. I'm not bringing you guys an answer. I'm asking questions right now, but I will look forward to hearing where this germinated. Be very curious. I also have to look at it with the inconsistency on Leon's part. It was two months ago, Leon refused to fight Hazmet Chemayev for the reason being Hazmet Chemayev was not ranked. You guys see the problem? You see the problem? Now, Leon gets a bit of a pass because Leon is one of the few guys not named Neil Magny who did agree to do the fight. Leon eventually agreed to fight Chemayev. I'm just sharing with you what's different now than was then. Now, we know the answer. We know what the answer is. But I'm calling it out and I'm calling it to people's attention because this seems to be a thing, particularly at 170 pounds, as a way of getting out of fights. To talk about some ridiculous number like a ranking. To avoid Chemayev specifically has to do with talking about he's not... You see the problem. You You weren't fooling us back then for your reasons to not fight Chemayev. You're not going to fool us now for your reasons of wanting to fight Diaz. I'm just bringing it out that we're all on the same page. We're all on the same page. This fight, by the way, in case you guys don't know, is a five-round fight. The reason that's of interest is it is a co-main event that is not a championship fight. The reason that is of interest, it has never been done before that a non-title, non-main event be five rounds. So now that this precedence is about to be set and this is upon us, it's it's something we're going to have to get used to. That's just a reality. I don't know if you like that. I don't know if you don't like that. I don't know if that makes things better. I'd be open to all ideas. I can tell you one night I saw three championship fights. All of them went the distance, and it was too much. It was just simply too much. You had three five-round contests scheduled. 15 rounds later, we finally have conclusion and can get up and go home. So I would be curious what you guys think. And you may not know what you think until after it's done, right? You may not know. This predicated, at least in my opinion, from Masvidal Covington, let me explain. They were looking to make Masvidal Covington. This was last year, like December, maybe even November. And they go, okay, well, this isn't a championship fight, and we're not going to put the BMF up. We need to put it on pay-per-view. And if we go pay-per-view, we like to have a title fight. That means you guys are co-main. But to put you two maniacs in there in a 15-minute fight just doesn't seem right. So we're going to do this for 25 minutes. Now, that never got announced publicly. And had it been announced, I was ready to go. I was going to spring on that. No. No. You want five rounds? He's got to put up the belt. I don't like the idea that the BMF belt doesn't have a lineage. I want the BMF belt to live on. I think you guys are with me. And if you got a champion in the match, you're going to tell me it's a non-championship match? Wrong. You're going to tell me it's, it's 25 minutes, but Colby doesn't have a chance for the BMF. But I was, I was ready to fight back. I was ready to fight back. But it didn't happen. However, we are still left with the ideas of whoever came up with that idea in the first place that it is going to carry on. Go 25 minutes. Because I think Nate Diaz uh, likes that. Right? I don't know a lot of fighters that would prefer to go longer, prefer to train harder. I don't know a lot of them, but I know they exist. And I think Nate's one of them. Nate's big problem with the way that Masvidal fight ended is that they were just getting into the championship rounds, which is where the ones he was planning to win. I only bring that to you because it's pretty interesting. And the fight does change. And if you do look at Leon and how crisp he is, 
And I realize Leon was laid off, but he won't be coming into this fight with a layoff. It will be Nate with the layoff. Historically speaking, and Nate Diaz speaking, that first round is a throwaway. I mean, Nate gets warmed up in that first round. He likes the longer matches. I do think the fact that it's 25 minutes, I think that is going to change the breakdown. I think that is going to change the X's and O's. I even read a headline today that uh, Leon starts off as major favorite over Diaz. Well, he was only a plus 285. It wasn't even a 3-1. to one. By Leon's standards, he's ranked number three in the world. That's pretty close, quite frankly. Less than three to one odds. That's not a bad line. And I'm not positive that the people that set the line or the people that have weighed in on that with placing a wager so far are aware of the five rounds. I think that's going to change things. I'm speculating. Let's see where all that goes. As I speak to you about the lineage of the BMF, of which I firmly believe, I must tell you, Conor McGregor, and here is the treat of my day, Conor McGregor has come out and suggested that the UFC make a belt for his trilogy fight with Dustin. Now, as much as that's never going to happen, it's also very unlikely that Conor ever thought it would happen or wanted it to happen. This was just the master at work, and that is a troll job to the highest of levels. A guy who just got cleaned up but wants a championship put up on his... That's... It's the way you handle it. It's the way you handle it. Never happened. Never happened if you didn't want it to happen. Sean O'Malley just did it. Never lost to Cheeto. Never happened. Moved on. Careful what he let in his bubble. Now, Connor did it in a little bit more of a fun way, but I mean, th this is the turn of turns. The guy that got cleaned up is the guy saying it should be a title fight, and not just any title. It should be specifically for him. I mean, that's the way you do it. You move on. So many fighters will tell you, well, you're only as good as your last fight. Says who? Who made that rule? Where is that written down? And with what authority was it stated? There's, not, there's no rules and there's no policies that apply to you if you don't want them to apply and if you're smart enough to do something about it, which I will submit for you, Conor McGregor just did. Coming up next, I'm going to tell you about a text message I just received and what I think it could mean. But before we get there, a word from one of our sponsors. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. Spring has sprung, and there's nothing more important than keeping our bodies healthy as we transition from the colder months into the warmer ones. I have lots to juggle between my family and business, visiting with you guys, taking my son to practice, catching up on the podcast and nonstop coverage in the world of combat sports. And sometimes it's hard to practice daily nutritional habits between it all. There is a way and Athletic Greens is the key for me. It's a daily all-in-one superfood powder. One scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multi-mineral, probiotic, greens, superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase energy and focus, help with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. What a relief. Athletic Greens is my one stop for all of it. It's simple, it's easy. For you athletes out there, this product is NSF certified for sport. 
It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you like to eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, or gluten free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. So whether you or a family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com chael and join athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. So I woke up this morning, I had a text from Henry Cejudo that says, I'm back. I interpret that to mean, hey, Chael, go tell the world that I'm coming back and that this is real. That's my interpretation, but I can't do that. I can't do that because we've just done this game too many times. We've done the yo-yo too many times. So I tell Henry, I need details. He sends me back like an emoji with a bunch of Olympic gold medals. And I mean, it, it was like this cool emoji, but again, I'm left with interpretation. How do I interpret that piece of art known as, known as five or six emojis, all very positive. How do I interpret that? Do I guess? I think Henry's coming back, but that's not new. I never thought he was leaving in the first place. And when he never removed himself from the USADA pool, not to mention he's been training his ass off. Even when Henry was gone, even week one of Henry being gone, he's been doing a lot of boxing. He was even talking about fighting this Ryan Garcia guy and there was somewhere in the Middle East that wanted to host this fight. It looks as though that died away, but Henry didn't know that he was getting ready for it. So I'm sharing with you that I'm watching the world's greatest talent. The champion who never lost his belt, either of them, gave one away, gave them both away, given two belts away. <laughs> Imagine how successful you have to be to give a world championship. Well, you know what I would do to be world champion? He, ga he gave two of them away, this crazy bastard. Okay. But now it appears that he is coming back, and it appears to some level that I believe, and I believe it enough that I'm sitting here and telling you guys, but what does that look like? Was this the world's worst decision by Henry to leave in the first place, or does it not matter at all? It was less than a year ago. It was May of last year. He's back April of this year. Oh, geez. And guess what else I just realized? It's April Fool's Day. I'm not doing an April Fool's on you, by the way. I'm, I'm not five years old. But Henry might be doing one to me. That just dawned on me now. Okay. I don't, I don't think it is, and I'm going to push through this piece anyway. Says that he's coming back. What would that look like? Because Henry was very clear when he left in the first place. If there, if there was enough money, he would come back. It was annoying, right? I mean, but you remember when he did that? He, he retired in the ring. He said, Triple C's out. But he went to the press conference 44 minutes later, and he said, Dana knows my number. Dana knows how to get me back, and Dana's like, man, that's, that's not what I do. I use guys that want to compete. I, I don't, for, nobody has to fight over here. Okay. But I share that with you because that does do away with the championship clause of which made Henry a very rich man. Henry's next fight will not have the championship clause because he's not bringing the championship. 
So his next match will look very different just contractually, not to mention, do you bring Henry back to be one of the guys? That's a tough one. You take absolutely the best fighter the division's ever had. I mean, Henry's in the argument for the best the sport's ever had. And, but now he's just one of the guys? And why? Because he walked away? Sure. But he didn't walk away that long ago. I mean, do you see the problem? He didn't walk away that long ago. This isn't he's been out four or five years. What's this going to look like? And Henry's, you know, starting with a, a mile jog every day to try to get back in shape. That's not the case. He's still the guy. He's just as good. Plenty of champions haven't fought since Henry fought last. So if he slides back and he comes at 135, okay, now he's back to try to pursue what he had in the first place, or does he go to 45 and try to do this champ, champ, champ business? I don't know, which is why I said to Henry, I need some details, but it is one of those things. Hold that thought because also in that division of 135, Jose Aldo has called out Dominic Cruz. Now, the one thing that Dominic showed all of you and reminded all of you in his fight with Casey is unless you're the best fighter in the world, you're not going to beat him. And you can beat Dominic. Go ahead and beat him. Go look at his record. He's lost before. Two of the absolute best fighters in the world. And he has not slowed down. His pacing hasn't slowed down. His timing, his ability, his reactions have not slowed down. And you have somebody like Jose Aldo that, guess what? You can beat him if you're the best fighter in the world. If you're not, you're not going to beat him. So what do you do with guys like that? And a common theme that we've seen with guys like that, complete studs that have already had those opportunities and we just can't give, we just can't give you those opportunities again, but there's still something to do with you. So we've seen them get released. JDS over him, by example... Studs. But if you don't have a plan, you don't know what to do with these guys, it's best to let some other promoter try, and that's what happened. But I bring this to you because I, and make sure you're tying all this stuff in together. This is on the heels of Oscar De La Hoya announcing he's coming back. This is on the heels of one of the biggest boxing matches being dangled in front of us, being uh, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. So there's a major question of what do we do with these athletes who perhaps had their best opportunities. I don't. I will not concede that Dominic Cruz' best days are behind him. I won't. I saw too good of a fighter take on Casey with too many things he was up against, including the fact that he was taking on Casey. That he's not a main event, not co-main event. He was the third fighter. I mean, Dominic was up against everything. Did it anyway and looked great. Now I bring this to you because there's something very special and as this sport is starting to change, and we are seeing some major changes, okay, this last year, some of the policies that were put in place and some of the ways that you could do things and get away with it, and that's good enough, were here because of the uniqueness of the year. Not having an arena to sit. Do you know what a burden that is? Oh, golly. I will tell you, my least favorite part of the fight business is having to sell out an arena with live people. Very hard. Requires immense strategy. But when you did away with that, it did change how you could go about business and the stresses that you would feel. Your obligations as the organization become very different when you don't have that burden. So I'm sharing with you, we're seeing it in the Oscar De La Hoya, the Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield. 
I'm attempting to paint with that picture is that age does not matter in this sport. It does not in terms of your drawability and the interest that you can bring in. Matchups do. And when you start to have some of these veterans, Dominic Cruz, champion, Jose Aldo, champion, Frankie Edgar, champion, Henry Cejudo, champion. When you start to have some of these guys, I want us to give a real good look at this policy that this is only for champions and contenders. I think that policy has got to give just a little. There has to be room to have those veterans who are great, but greatest opportunities no longer exist. To have a Jose Aldo and a Dominic Cruz against each other, find Frank Yeager, see what he's doing, get the mix going. Possibly they gain some steam bringing a young guy like a Sean O'Malley, by example. I think, I think you would be very wise to start to look at the veterans part of your division and how to use them, particularly in the landscape that the entire fight game is in right now. And we're seeing a real value in these guys who've had opportunity, whose names are out there that, and that, that people can really resonate with. We've even seen some changes. I'll take a little credit for it. But Yoel Romero, when he was released from the UFC, Scott Coker said the very next day, don't want him, not touching him. And not because I don't think he's great. I don't like the stigma that a guy can get released there and find a home over here. Let's go, hey, Coker, hold on one second. You don't have to sign him to a three, four, five fight deal. Same thing goes with Anderson Silva. You don't have to sign the, it, it can be a one-off. Sign Anderson, sign Yoel one night. One night only and bring them together. And I realized that didn't happen, but something along that line did happen. And you start to work a Rumble Johnson in there, and you start to see not everything has to be about champions and contenders. Not everything, not always. That's a very good policy. I see why it's in place. I'm just offering that perhaps it needs a little bit of room. We have to be able to change as the times change. And we are starting to see, and we're going to get a lot clearer vision when we see who Oscar fights and how those numbers do. But we are starting to see that there's a very different place in the sport right now for these name attractions. I very much wonder what, what this looks like if Henry comes back, right? I got partway through that before I realized the day is April 1st. I mean, that's not overly funny and Henry's not. I don't think we're doing an April 1st here. Either way, if he comes back, what does that look like? Is he just one of the guys? Does he have to work his way back in? Does he sit out long enough? Because long enough becomes too long. We're just not there yet. Bleeding edge, cutting edge. We're not too long. It's less than a year. He left in May and has been training ever since. It's not that long. But if Henry says he's coming back and then he's got to wait for Aljo and Yawn to figure that business out, when's he come back? What's it look like? I'm asking questions. I'm not answering them because I don't have the answer. I'm asking them. I will get them and I will bring them to you. Let's move on from Henry Cejudo to a couple of other guys that you love to hate, but just can't seem to get enough of. Oh, I gave a big shout out yesterday. A tremendous compliment to uh, Triller and, and particularly the production that they did on the Ben Askren parody of Rocky. You guys know what I'm talking about because this thing went viral. This had 2.3 million views yesterday. I don't even know where this thing's at, but it was great and it was very well made. I heard from Ben Askren today who set up a group text with 
his cameraman that goes, whoa, Triller had nothing to do with this. We wrote that whole thing. We shot the whole thing. We edited the whole thing. I only bring that around to make sure the credit goes where credit is due. But the mere fact that it had 2.3 million, regardless of who made it, I think that you understand this is a massive fight. I mean, this, this, this Paul versus Askren is a very massive fight. And I spoke on it from this standpoint that I don't see that. And I also don't really buy into the who the better boxer is based on the very limited footage that you've ever seen of other guy, either guy boxing, in all fairness. You've seen very limited information, but have come to a conclusion that Paul's the better boxer and significantly. I push back because I say they're not going out to box, they're going out to compete. And I had a couple of people on YouTube in the comment section say, Chael, you got to explain that to me. I don't know what you mean. They are going to box. Why are you saying that? Explain. Well, uh, let me, please, allow me to elaborate. Ben Askren is a competitor. He knows how to walk out one-on-one -on -one when the lights are on and the people are watching and get his hand raised. He's a competitor. And if Paul believes they're going out to box and then this comes down to feints and jabs, body shots, coming back upstairs, step off, move around outside, keep your foot out front of his leg, leg. I mean, if you're trying to break down boxing, you're just doing it with the wrong guy. Askren's not coming to do any of those things, and he's still going to win because he knows how to compete. If you've never had the anxiety of unarmed combat and what that's like to be in the back, what that like to all of a sudden being in the ring, you look down, you know, man, my shirt's off and so is his. He sure looks ready. Why are we here? I mean, until you go through those things and learn how to compartmentalize them and how to deal with them, it's an experience like you've never had. You can still win in spite of those. I would suggest that Paul, even in his last fight, probably felt all of those things. He was just very good in comparison to his opponent. And so you can still get a desired outcome, even if you're dealing with these things. But it's totally different when the guy you're dealing with isn't feeling them because he's done it a hundred times and he's used to it. And that's Ben Askren. Ben's going to be calm as can be. There is going to be no adrenaline dump. Ben's going to get hit. He's going to get hit again. And he's just not going to care. And he's going to keep coming forward. He's going to grab the guy. He's going to grab him behind the neck and the collar. He's going to slip a punch in as the referee steps in and says, you can't do that. And then Ben's going to lunge for and do it again. And he's just going to compete. He's going to make it dirty and he's going to make it gritty. He's going to bring conditioning into it. He's going to bring heart into it. One of the least things that Ben is going to bring to this is the skill. He's not going to look at this as I faint here. I show you left. I come with the right. I come to the ribs and I come upside. I step offside. Bop, 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 bop. No, it's not. No, it's none of those things. That's boxing. That's boxing. You're not dealing with a boxer here. You're dealing with a competitor who, by the way, competes in fighting. So now you don't just have a competitor you got to deal with. You got a fighter you got to deal with. By the way, who's done this a ton of times in every possible form of combat you can do. NCAA wrestling, submission tournaments over on the side, straight up MMA in the ring, in the cage, in this country, this weight class. I mean, you're dealing, this is the problem. You're dealing with a competitor who, by the way, competes in fighting. You're going to contest it under boxing rules. The better competitor will always win. Always. But they won't make it about the rules of the game. If you just run into some nasty competitor on the streets and you're going to race, we're going to race from here to there. You win. That guy might not run. He might not. He'll find a way. He's a competitor. He'll find a way. 
He expects to win. He only knows winning. That's a competitor. He understands time and space. He's just a competitor. He just gets it. You can't make a fight about heart. You can try to. You can't make a fight about conditioning. You can try to. You can't make a fight about grit. It's a talking point that you can try to do. You're not going to have the choice if you're in there with a competitor because he will get you tired. So now it is about heart and now it is about grit. And now it is about, okay, we're two minutes in and there's nine minutes left. I'm already tired and hurt and I got to do this another nine minutes and it's not going my way. Now get your mind to start working against itself. But not just any boxer or any fighter can do that. That's what the competitor brings. And Ben Askren is going to go out. He's going to compete against Paul, who thinks he's showing up to box. Really quickly, I want to talk about something that all of you are fired up about today. So Venom is the new sponsor of the UFC. They're going to, going to replace Reebok, and I don't know when that kicks in. I think effective immediately. I was stunned on social media how many ingrates were looking a gift horse in the mouth. Now, let me attempt to explain this. And anybody reasonable out there is quickly going to get it. And if you find yourself not agreeing with me, you just need to know you're unreasonable. You got to know that about yourself. And perhaps I can help you to learn that right now, okay? Every penny that Venom puts in, that's a broad stroke. But let's let's go with it anyway. Every penny that Venom puts in for this sponsorship right and this exposure opportunity gets put back out to the fighters. It just sifts through. Venom pays it to the company. Company pays it right back out to the fighters. So you're, you're quickly ask yourself, well, then what the hell's the point? That's a lot of work by the UFC. Why do a deal if you can't profit from a deal? Well, okay, real simple answer. The UFC really wants guys to look clean. The walkout's a very big deal. The press comments are a very big deal. They want you to look clean. They want you to look uniformed like any other sport in the world. They don't love that NASCAR feel where it's just all these different signs. I don't know that I fully was ever bothered by that. I don't know that as a viewer that ever bothered me that a guy had eight different sponsors on him. I don't think it bothers me when NASCARs do it. And in fact, I think they kind of look cool. That isn't the point, though. The UFC wanted it another way. So they were willing to go through the work to bring in this sponsor, get everything cleaned up, but they also want to take care of the boys. Because for a period of time, the UFC was allowing you to go get your own sponsors. That was a whole other arm. It was an industry that was created through that. They would have trade shows and whatnot. They, there, was, there was management teams put in place. I mean, it literally created an industry. Now, that never should have been done. No executive producer of TV should ever set up the cameras and allow somebody else to take the ad dollars, but the UFC did. So instead of being grateful and thanking them for that, people are now upset for the way the structure is now, which is Venom and everybody's got to wear it. Guess what? You have to do that. The UFC doesn't have to pay you for that. The UFC wants to pay you for that. They don't want to pull the rug out. They're into the idea that you're uniformed and they're willing to go through the hassle which would be a complete logistical pain in the ass, by the way. They're willing to go through that and put every dollar back out as long as they get what they want, which is everybody is clean. They just, they just kind of look the same. That was Reebok for a period of time. That'll be Venom. I only bring that to you because when people are trying to break down the pay structure, and this was a, a big talking point on social media and a couple of the dirt sheets that I went to where I go to get my MMA information. 
and they didn't like that you know, there was something, if you fought in the UFC less than six times, here's your amount. And it works all the way up to if you're a champion returning or in a championship match. They have a structure. However they came up with that or whatever they came up with that for, in any other sport would be zero. Why there's a structure and why the athletes are getting paid anything. If I'm setting up the cameras, i am take every advertising dollar. I would never hide it. I would never say sorry. It's called the TV model. There is no other show that operates with the generosity of the UFC, not to mention they put up with the pain in the ass that comes along with it, and they don't get told thank you. If you see it any other way, then the way I just explained it, you're unreasonable. Before we wrap up the show and head out for the weekend, I want to answer a question that comes to us from one of our listeners, Glenn Bell. I have a question about the refs. A number of years ago, DC didn't want a certain ref because of a previous experience with that ref. Just this year, DC didn't want a certain ref because of a previous experience with that referee. First DC being Daniel Cormier, second DC being Dominic Cruz. And of course we had Al Jermaine rolling around on the floor while the referee said, do you want to fight? And lastly, I heard Anthony Smith say, sometime he asked himself, why do we have a referee and a God D octagon in the first place? He said he's tired of these guys passing the buck and punting every problem they have and that they should be confident enough to make the decision. And then when something happens, they look lost and they're looking ringside toward the commission. So with all this flack these refs are taking, I want to ask you, Chill, who would be on your referee, Mount Rushmore? Glenn, I got to tell you, it is nice to hear your voice. It's nice to see you. You know, you are a fixture of this. Where have your questions? You keep asking questions, buddy. I'm going to keep on answering them, but I like where you went there because it's a little bit different. I also did not know that about DC. I don't remember that. I don't remember Daniel Cormier not wanting a referee. And I never knew how serious Dominic Cruz was, but I at least know the reference you're talking about. I will tell you, I was on a card. I was on a card. I was going to take on Nate Marquardt co-main event, Randy Couture, my hero, we're in the same locker room, and Randy's going to be the main event against Mark Coleman. So a special night for me, right? It was a special night to get to be there and be in that situation with Randy, but also because I was in that locker room, I saw everything that unfolded, and it went all the way to Dana White and Lorenzo Fortita coming into the locker room trying to explain to Randy, we have nothing to do with the commission. We have nothing to do with who your referee is. We will share your concerns, and we will even make the request that you are asking us to, to get a new official. But so you fully understand this, Randy, this isn't us. We answer to these guys. So we will go in there correctly, and we will make your request. But just so you understand, however this thing unfolds, you talking to us that we're the wrong guys. And it was that, it was that big. I mean, Lorenzo and Dana came in. In $5,000 suits, man, these guys look like a million bucks and they were very serious because this was going to be their main event. So I bring that to you because, and it did not change. Randy's request was not granted. When you're referring to the referees, and I don't know if you've ever tried to referee anything. I have. Amateur wrestling. Many times, never wanted to do it. A lot of ways that those tournaments happen is the budget is so low, they will literally set up a tournament, everybody will come, everybody will be ready to wrestle, and then the tournament director, then and only then, when you're already in the building and ready to go and warmed up, will inform you we have no officials. Who here wants to officiate? 
And in the sport of wrestling, we will go all the way through our state championship that way. Where somebody walks up, you don't have to be certified, you don't have to be a card-carrying member, you didn't have to take a class, you had to say, I'll referee the match, and you can now be in charge of a state championship that will be kept in the books, will qualify our national team, and can ultimately even reflect upon your college scholarship. Very big deal, and people can ref. Now, I say that to you because the first time I ever refed, I had never done it before, I had no training in it, and I was 11 years old. And I remember how bad I was because of how scared I was to make a call. Now, by the time that day was over and I got 18, 19 matches under me, I did a fine job. And by the time I came back, I would even say I was a good ref. But I am sharing with you that I had the experience of doing that and had everybody looking at you and everybody expecting something from you. And the referees that we have that are the best referees, and you asked me for my Mount Rushmore, all have one thing in common, which is without question, they are in charge. Period. Of course, Big John McCarthy, number one, leader of the pack. But for the reason I just stated, there is never a time John is in that octagon when you wonder who's the boss. Never. And you also, but that's a very good feeling. You don't want the referee making a bad call or a judgmental call or showing a bias against you or a favoritism, even this slight, man, the slightest, you'll sense it, you'll see it, you'll pick up on it. When you have John in there, you're going to have a straight adjudication, period. So because of that reason, I put him up there and I put Mark Goddard right up there too. And that's for things I see behind the scenes. And I realize as soon as I say oh, I'm behind the scenes, I, I look like a jerk. I don't mean to say that, but where I come in to participate, I'm, I'm behind the scenes where the cameras are. Mark's the first one there. Mark's the last one to leave. Mark does not associate in any way with athletes or their coaches. You will get a hello, he's a human being, and that is it. You will get a stern look. He is not there to <laughs> he is not there to be anybody's friend. He does not care in the least who gets their hand raised. He does care that the rules will be followed. And I see it. Herb Dean. Many of those same qualities but also the experience. And not to mention, Herb had some really go his way. I mean, he really did. The night uh, of the world title, where Tim Sylvia's arm popped and nobody saw it and everybody thought it was a bad stoppage. Herb was right. And Tim's arm did break. Tim, to this day, has a, a metal plate in his forearm because of that. But Herb saw it. So, I mean, that was a great catch by Herb Dean. The guy's a legend for many reasons, but that was a great catch that only a great referee who understood the position and was completely immense in the moment would have caught. And you got Beltron, right? I mean, you gave me a Mount Rushmore, but you have Beltron for the same reason that I have to give it to John, which is you know who's in charge. Beltron is in charge, period. And that's a safe feeling, right? Even though that referee is never going to help you, it's as though he is. It's as though he is helping. If he's calling this thing straight, if he is taking control of that ring, if he is clearing people out, making sure that door's shut, are you ready, are you ready, and he's in charge, it's a big deal. Because uh, I don't know that any of the examples that you gave Glenn, have anything to do with a referee not understanding the rules. But we will at times see referees that get weak. They're very, very weak in terms of what do I do in this moment. And some of those moments are unique to them. 
If you look at the Aljo Yon fight, that was a unique situation. And it appeared very much the referee just didn't know what to do. He didn't know what his parameters were to do. So if we're all learning in the moment, of course, you've got to give respect to the referee. And ultimately, even if it took a minute, he got to the correct conclusion. But the mere fact that he had to bring in multiple people and talk about them, I mean, that's something you would never have to see with a Big John, by example. Big John doesn't need to talk to you or you. He already, he already got it figured out. Why does he have it figured out? Because he's the boss. The referee is in charge. And if there's ever a night where, you, where that's not perfectly clear, man, that guy can't go on the Mount Rushmore. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your support and everything you do for us. So please keep on listening, leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends about the show. I'll talk to you soon, but until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.